Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in the Twin Cities, it's time for Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and folks, this is going to be a good one. Kurt Altricker is with us. Kurt is the president of Ivory Hill. Kurt, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, John. Hey, it's a pleasure. Let's talk about you and what you are up to at Ivory Hill. How, how are you serving folks out there? Um, well, so I'm a, I'm a financial advisor. Um, so I'm a chartered retirement plan specialist. So I deal a lot with, I specialize in working with entrepreneurs and business owners. And well, you know, I used to say in the twin cities, but it's really all over the country. Now I got clients all over the place sure, um, and whatnot. And so I help them grow and preserve their wealth. Um, and also help them manage, you know, business cash flows and make business decisions as well as that. So they can a little bit of business consulting. I'm a fiduciary, um, in all aspects of stuff. So I, uh, legally obligated just like a CPA or an attorney to, uh, know, do what is in my client's best interest. And really that makes sense because my income is directly tied to how their, you know, money is performing in, in, in the markets and whatnot. Um, and I'm fee only. So I only make money by the clients that, uh, that pay me no commissions, no insurance type products, you know, that type of stuff, um, and whatnot. Um, but I'm not, where I really strive is I, I, I want to see business thrive in with the entrepreneurs that I, that I work with. Let's talk. Let's dive deeper into what specifically that means to be fee only, to be a fiduciary, and why that's so important for the client. Well, I'll tell you from firsthand experience. So the way that things still go on today, you know, at the big wirehouses, and it's not every advisor. So I'm not going to classify classify everyone over there. But the way that you know, when I was at UBS, that I had an issue with is, you know, we charge a 1% AUM fee or 1.5% AUM fee on the clients. And then, you know, they put them, uh, the investment managers put them in, in the funds that we receive commissions on. So we'd get like, a, you know, a half percent upfront load charge from every time we moved in and out of mutual funds. And then we'd also charge them a 1% wrapper fee. So really the fees were a lot more than most clients had. And I never thought that that was right. Mm. You know, on wall street, there's a way to, to make money anywhere you possibly can. And, um, and I believe that being a fiduciary is, I don't know if it's really a separator. Cause I think that's more of where the business is going. Um, what that means, I got to, if there's any conflicts of interest, I'm required to disclose them. I don't have any conflicts of interest, but if I did, um, that's what I would have to be. Fee only means there's, there's two ways to make fees, either from an, eight, uh, assets under management. So the balance of your account, you know, times, uh, 1% or so that's charged nominally or uh, financial planning fees. Those are a direct check, very crystal clear, transparent when it comes to that. I'm also required if I do any recommendations to for a CPA or state planning attorney or benefits broker or something like that, I'm required to do due diligence on them. So I have to, when I refer somebody, it can't be you know a referral partner that just refers me a lot of business. I learned really early on that I need to find really good professionals um, for, to pair my clients up and they can't just be, you know, a, a partnership where we pass cash under the table. It's got to be very legit. Um, and, you know, I can be disbarred, you know, for not doing what is in my client's best interest. So um, usually what's in their best interest is to see them do well uh, financially um, and whatnot. So then I get paid more, they get paid more, and that's usually a pretty good deal. And that's how I partner with clients. So it sounds like to me, 
Kurt, that you've, you are giving up the opportunity to probably make more money in the short run, working at a bigger firm. Uh, we won't call anybody out, but working at a bigger firm that handles things the way you described than what you are doing now. That's what it sounds like to me. You're, you're working for your client's long-term best interest. Correct. Yeah. So I like to grow with my clients over time. So I'm not trying to build a book of business. I get paid fat checks right now. Mm-hmm. I'm looking more of a long-term relationship. This is a marriage to me. I mean, it's a long-term relationship. My clients end up being my friends um, and whatnot. And so there's this really, uh, I have, uh, <laughs> yeah, we both have a vested interest in seeing the client do well. It's not like selling insurance policy and moving on to the next, you know, next one and trying to, you know, sell some long-term care and whatnot. That's not how I operate. I actually outsource all that type of stuff because there are opportunities where it makes sense for, you know, certain products like that. But I kind of delegate that to, I got to work with about three to five insurance professionals um, for that type of stuff. Yeah. Well, I can see how you've, you develop a lot of trust with your clients and they come back to you for anything financial, really, even though that may not be your core expertise, right? (laughs) Yeah. And the best client is the one that, you know, runs everything by me, you know, Hey, I'm about to make a big purchase. Hey, you know, I just racked up some credit card debt and need a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, I'm thinking about buying this business or I'm thinking about making this big purchase or, Hey, someone else got has something that in my ear. That's the best client. You know, the only thing I haven't heard from clients is, Hey, you know, where do I bury the body? I hope I never have to do that one, but <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I have to deal with that one. But that that's the best client in my opinion, because that really, the more information that I have on, you know, how they think um, and, you know, what they're going through. Um, Cause really what I'm, what I do is I, I think the core of what I do comes down is to expectations. And in life, I believe that relationships are either made or broken based on expectations. And so I, I, I send, tend to be a little bit cynical when it comes to clients, when I'm showing them a portfolio or something like that, I actually show them, you know, how it operated in, in 2008, how it operated in the pandemic, well, how did it look like? And I try to push them, you know, well, when do I get fired? Uh, at what point do I get fired? When do you, when can you not sleep at night? How long can you stay like this? That type of stuff. And then I start talking about, you know, the potential of, you know, investment returns and stability and that type of stuff. Got it. So you and I were chatting a bit before we came on the air, Kurt, about your philosophy about helping folks navigate the ups and downs of the market. And you're a big believer in actively managing downside risk. Talk more about that. Yeah. So about, uh, right around 2018, last time we had that taper tantrum where the market went down 20% and then we made all the money back in the first two weeks of, of 2019, I started thinking, you know, cause like all the cookie cutter type of, uh, economic indicators that you're taught on the series seven series 65, well, if everybody know if the, usually those reports come out, you know, after everything happened, I mean, nothing's really obvious, doesn't really do anything. So I spend a lot of time doing a lot and I'm an economics major by trade. So I tend to dig into things a little bit more than the average person. So I, was, I ran into a guy who has been pounding the horn on, you know, uh, downside risk, you know, working on, you know, managing downside risk. And we've been in bull market for 10 years. And I was like, who is this guy think he is? Hmm. And uh, like that's got to be the worst space as a fund manager to be in when the market only goes up. And <laughs> and so what? What when I kind of ran across his name's Michael Guyad, and so um, and you know he he does a what he defines as intermarket analysis, 
it's a branch of technical analysis. Technical analysis looking at charts and you know kind of the path of money. That's not really what I'm talking. What I'm talking about is a study of asset class and kind of sector relationships um, and like how different things play off each other. Because what I was trying to find at the time was you know what are early indicators of volatility. Mm. It, why do I care about volatility? It's just like a word that gets thrown around. Why do I care about volatility? Volatility is usually associated with down markets. And so what I look for is early indicators of volatility. One, and there's about there's about, about 20 indicators that I follow, and I have it's a rules-based process. To give you, to kind of open up the onion, one of Mike's uh, indicators, he's not the only one that I use, is uh, it's called, uh, it's the lumber to gold ratio. And so... What, what that means is that, so he's looking at the ratio between lumber and gold. When lumber is outperforming gold, that is an indicator of a healthy housing market. We're building houses, and that's usually associated with a growing economy. We have a red-hot housing market. Mm-hmm. Following me so far? Yeah, that makes and then, sense. And then when gold is outperforming lumber, that means that people are getting more defensive in the markets. They're mo- they're, they're moving money into gold. You know, gold... People say it's a hedge against, uh, you know, inflation, that type of stuff. There's really not a lot of correlation, but to that, so that's one indicator. So when gold's outperforming lumber, and that indicator flipped uh, right at the beginning of February before the pandemic. Oh wow! Not and so and then and then you know another one of his indicators that I think also makes sense. That's a short-term indicator that I rely on is um, utilities to the S and P 500 mm-hmm. ratio. So to utilities divided by the S and P 500. When same kind of concept as the lumber to gold um, utilities is um, when utilities is outperforming the overall S and P five hundred, which it is right now, by the way. Um, that means that equity traders in an intermarket, what's actually going on in the market, are getting a little bit more defensive. They're moving in the equity field and stocks. Um, when they move, when you see utilities outperforming the S and P five hundred, you know that's a defensive play because what are utilities? Well, that's your, you know what you pay at your house, your electricity, your water bill, sure. um, that type of stuff. And that means that I mean, people are usually going to pay those bills. And therefore, those, uh, those, those companies and those stocks that they're invested in are usually going to go up when the overall market, you know, things like tech are going down. Mm-hmm. And so that's a short term. That's kind of a short term indicator. So I have a rules based process, again, about 20 different indicators that I follow um, where I will reduce risk when volatility is likely. And the way I like to explain is the way kind of Mike, Mike explains it as well. When it comes to investing, you know, I kind of look at it like I'm a meteorologist. You know, if you're, you know, say you're driving in a car down the highway, you know, I'm not going to be able to tell you, you know, what mile marker um, you're going to get in a car accident on. But what I can tell you is that conditions are suggesting that maybe you should slow down a little bit, Hmm. put your antenna up, increase your awareness, put your wipers on. Um, you know, maybe turn the radio down a little bit, um, you know, because conditions are saying that you might get into a car accident. And so what I, what I found through back testing is by, you know, reducing certain equity exposures, especially like if you'd like to use leverage and that's another topic for another time, but you know, you'd want to reduce leverage. Mm-hmm. You want to reduce your, you know, your speculative, uh, investment, not speculative investment, but high risk investments down to more boring defensive plays um, where we still want to stay invested, but we want to be invested in the more safer places. Um, and then eventually the way that my kind of the, the indicators work is like kind of stoplights when that third stoplight goes on to red, 
It's kind of like the, hey, we're going to move 100% out of the equity market into treasuries. And I have no problem doing that. Hmm. Um, one very obvious, you know, kind of rules that I learned in college when I kind of first, when I first started working in this business, I was interning at a warehouse at the time. And I, I remember reading up on this stuff for the interview, actually. Yeah. And one of the things that came out was the 200 day moving average of the S&P 500. Um, and so the 200 day moving average, the S and P 500 is the average, uh, average price of the S and P 500 over the last 200 days. Um, and when the S and P 500 crosses on the below side, um, if you were to sell, move to cash or treasuries, mm-hmm. it's coming on the downside. And then you move back into the S and P 500 on the upside. If you would have done that, you would have never lost a dime in the stock market over the last 30 years. And that really stuck with me. Wow. Um, and, and. And so I think, you know, that's kind of like my last thing. If fundamentals are out the door, I like to stick to rules and data. It's not Kurt's, you know, opinion or Kurt's gut feeling. If I can't prove it, the way I like to prove an investment move is um, if I'm going to be sued in the court of law, can I justify my process through it? And that's not because I think I'm going to be sued. That's just, I just, that's just the way I look at it in a document. I'm a military guy. Um, so I like to keep things, you know, documented and have a, have a process that's easy to follow and easy to explain. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, Kurt, real quick, you, you mentioned the lumber to gold ratio, but, uh, I don't think you mentioned where that ratio stands today. Is it, is it as, um, unfavorable as the utilities to, to the overall market ratio you mentioned? Um, so right now, no, actually. Um, and, and that, and that, and that utilities range is more of a short, it's a short term signal. What I mean by that is, okay. is like, uh, in the terms of weeks, um, the lumber to gold ratio is more of an intermediate term. So that one usually takes a little bit longer to fall. Gotcha. Um, and so that did flip in the summer. Um, this, this last year, it's been an interesting market. It always is. Um, <laughs> when gold was outperforming lumber signaling that, you know, bearish times are upon us. And that fl- that flipped, and and you know, it was kind of, I was a little bit rocky about that one because it flipped because people were buying, all the producers were buying lumber and mm-hmm. hoarding it because they thought there was going to be a huge shortage. Right. So that you know, that that I mean, that's just one of the things that you kind of have to deal with a rules based process, and that's why you don't. That's why I reduce equity exposure. I don't completely get out of investments. Um, because of that, because if I, if I, if, you know, if you're sitting in, you know, in a regular aggressive portfolio um, and I reduce, you know, five, 10% of your stocks, you know, that's not really going to make a huge difference. I probably won't even make a difference, you know, within 12 months um, of me doing that. Um, but, you know, of, of, but if that one market, that one correction does happen, then I'm looking really good and the client's happy because they're less down than, you know, everybody else who likes to compare their investment portfolios to each other. So would it be fair to say, Kurt, that a big part of your investment philosophy is, um, or maybe the primary part of your investment philosophy is, as long as I never lose, I'm going to be ahead over the long term? Is that a layman's way to say that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to win by by not losing. Yeah. Um, by not losing as much. So I'm, that's all I'm, I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing anything, mm-hmm. um, but uh I've done anything I can promise, you know, for compliance. I can definitely promise the market's going to go down. I can't promise the market's going to go up. Um, so yeah, I like, I look at it by winning, by not losing as much. And then, and then the second part of that is when you get back in. Um, and so I have a process for that as well. Mm-hmm. Got it. 
Uh, folks, Kurt Altricker is with us, and Kurt is the uh, president founder of Ivory Hill. So, uh, Kurt, let's talk about what you see ahead in 2022, and I guess what the the markets are up significantly since the uh, the pandemic started. Uh, what now? I mean, and, and I know again, every client's different. So folks consult your own financial advisor or what have you, but so let's just say that, but in general, I mean, what are you looking at? So it, we're at a really interesting time right now. Um, you know, the market, you know, year to date when the S and P is up 20%, it's being held up by about five stocks, um, and whatnot. And if you look at that, if you look at, I think it's about seven stocks right now, you know, the big boys, uh, Facebook, Google, NVIDIA, Tesla, Tesla recently added into it. But all the rest of those stocks are the, uh, I was reading a chart the other day that said the top seven stocks in the S&P 500 are responsible for 35% of the investment return, while the other 493 companies um, are actually underperforming. And that's mm. kind of a, that's a red, that's so, so, so the activity, I mean, right now, short term, like this week and next week, the activity should be pretty light going in the week of, you know, Christmas. It usually is, um, which, you know, I mean, could favor higher, you know, risk assets or stocks um, and whatnot. The market landscape, in my opinion, though, is going to be increasingly difficult to navigate as we get to 2022. As, as you know, a lot of things have to go right um, for stuff to continue to rally. And in my opinion, you know, there's, there's very lofty valuations, um, including evidence that, you know, I, I do think inflation is about to either has peaked or is about to peak. Um, you know, growth remains strong. The central banks are moving, uh, like they always do, which is really slow, um, you know, to remove the accommodation and raising interest rates. You know, um, if any of those things were to go wrong, It'll be a source for, you know, broad market volatility. And, you know, having said that, do I think a Santa Claus rally remains possible to year end? I do believe so. Um, but I'm I'm more of looking into 2022, 2023 at this point. Mm. Um, got you know, it. We got, you know, 40%, 40, I, I don't think it's like 40% of personal wealth um, being accounted for by stocks hasn't been this high since the peak of the tech bubble. Oh wow! I mean, if you look at how much, and what that what that tells me is that there's a lot of overconfidence in the in the in the market. Um, people are getting pretty confident with things, or even cocky uh, to the point where it's probably negligent, in my opinion. There's a lot of leverage in the system. Margin debt versus the S and P 500. Every single time margin debt went above 50 percent, which it did, it has you know in the last year or so, and then fell below. 50%, there's been a major market correction. We have now gone up and below. Now, I'm not saying that it, you know a market can stay overbought for years um, and whatnot, but with one-third of the S&P 500 stocks trading below the 200-day moving average and the, you know, the market trading at higher multiples than before the COVID crash, conditions don't look great for stocks, but that does not mean that they're not going to continue to go because conditions can change and... Um, market can stay overbought for years. So, you know, I don't want to be a bear. I get, you know, beat up uh, by some people <laughs> for being, for being super negative. It's like, no, well, that's my business. You know, I'm look, I'm focused on that downside risk. I'm hyper-focused on that. I'm looking to see what possibly can do that, but that doesn't mean I'm making a lot of moves mm -hmm. um, and whatnot. Got it. Got it. You're, you're just uh, preparing clients for what may be hit. Setting expectations. Right. Um, and it's important to point out uh, here, 
folks, as you listen to this show, I mean, we're, we're uh, recording this show here at the end of December 2021. If you're listening to this show um, into 2022, you better check back with Kurt because things may have changed. Uh, so um, let's let's put that out there. Um, let's talk about economic outlook and what, what you see in the economy and how that infect, uh, affects uh, your investment posture, not just for stocks, but for fixed income investors as well. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, fixed income, well, let me say this. This is the first time I've ever heard of or even done myself. I tax lost harvest fixed income this year. It means I sold it because it was underperforming here at year end. And I've been selling out of it to tax loss harvest for clients. Mm. So fixed income has been going down. And I mean, that's probably being the biggest frustration for financial advisors across the board is what do you do with new money? (laughs) When, 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 when when equity markets are, you know, aren't sitting on pins and needles, but they're, they're not, they're not clear outlook like they were in the last, like the last 10 years. And then fixed income is also going negative. That doesn't I mean, that doesn't happen. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, it is happening right now. And so, I mean, economically, I think that the fed has set the table for 2022 and beyond. Um, you know, Powell and company, Jerome Powell, you know, kind of came out and did exactly what the market had priced in with is, you know, cutting $30 billion a month and whatnot. And I mean, now that the, the consumers face a 7% inflation rate, producers are, are, you know, faced with 10% producer rate. Um, and, you know, Powell is effectively forced to, to pull the trigger on removing some of this, uh, frankly, absurd, ultra accommodative conditions. Mm-hmm. that he has provided. Mm. Got it. Um, so for, for, so what do you recommend specifically for retirees that are out there? I mean that, you know, where they're more, the typical retiree is more oriented toward fixed income. I mean, what are you, what are you thinking about that particular class of investor? I'm glad I'm glad that you asked that question because um, that's something I'm very passionate about in general. Before fixed income was going down, I've still been passionate about this because, um, like a lot of people, you know, I had a grandma used to send me birthday cards. Um, <laughs> she'd send me, uh, you know, a birthday. Card. I remember I got like a hundred dollar bill in the mail, and you know, when you're, you know, under ten years old or whatever age I was, you know, that's a huge deal, and yeah. you, know, you put it in a savings account and whatnot. But uh, you know, over the years though, that hundred dollars went to fifty. And then that 50 went to 25 and then that 50 went to 20. And then, you know, eventually I just got a car in the mail. That's because grandma kept all of her money in CDs. Mm. And, and, and the point, the point of this, um, it's not that CDs are bad in general uh, or, or fixed income is bad in general, but it does not keep up with inflation and inflation, you know, for the government, the government says inflation is, you know, usually about 2%. Um, there's an interesting study, a guy who created the Chapwood index where he, it's not 100% uh, correct with the data, but what he did is he created a huge Facebook group of everybody in major cities about what people actually buy at the grocery store, gas, how much, what kind of type of services they do. And he figured out um, that inflation is actually more than what it is today. Um, and, I, and he said, so in Minnesota here, where I'm based, you know, that Met Chapwood Index has the inflation of the cost and goods and services that we buy is about 9.86%. Um, when the government says it's 2 and so I do think that there is a discrepancy between what the government says is inflation and what it actually is. 
um, and whatnot. So I, I had, I think there's a happy meeting between the government and, you know, probably, you know, that 10%. I, I, when I run financial plans, I run inflation between four and 7%. And so you need to have equity exposure. And so a good, a good, you know, a tool that you can use is, you know, real estate, like a REIT. Um, there's a few companies out there that do some really good concentrated REITs, great during the pandemic that do, you know, no commercial, you know, single family homes, you know, out in the country or Amazon last mile delivery services, that type of stuff. So it's not really going to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, another, you know, another aspect that you can, that you can look at is, you know, boring is going to be good here in the next year. I do think that boring is going to begin. What I mean by that is all this high tech, you know, mid cap type stocks, you know, your Peloton, your Ubers, that type of stuff is going to continue to get hit pretty hard right now. They did well during the pandemic because that was the only place you could really see any growth with right. technology because everything else is shut down. Sure. So I think boring is going to be good. Um, so, wh- I mean, where do you want to be with inflation is, you know, things like banks, financials. Um, that type of stuff, precious metals and mining, utilities, healthcare, consumer staples, um, kind of energy and financials, industrials. I think that, you know, on dips, I, that's what I've been buying lately is more of that kind of value, boring, um, you know, not very sexy, but going to be here for the long term. Companies that think are, are going to need, I think you're going to start. We have seen the transition from kind of high growth Facebook, Apple, Google, tech to back to, you know, some nice value oriented companies that give good dividends. They don't really go up or down and that will, will start to continue to outperform and it has so far this year. Uh, good words here, uh, folks. Uh, lots to ponder from Kurt Altricker and uh, Kurt is the president of Ivory Hill. So Kurt, I'm, I'm uh, curious how do, someone's heard something here that makes them want to be in touch uh, talk about how you work with a new client. What, what's that process like? So the process is, is typically, so the, the, well, first of all, how you contact, you can contact me a number of ways, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, um, or you can go to my website, everyhill.com, and you can actually uh, schedule a meeting directly on my calendar there, a virtual meeting. So mm-hmm. what I like to do is do a virtual meeting, and that's kind of a get to know us. Let's see, you know, what your situation is. Uh, some people call it a screening meeting or something like that. But I just look for, I'm looking for, do I want to work with that person? Is that someone that I can see myself working with over the long term? Mm-hmm. Um, they might have a lot of money and they might want to give it all to me right now. Uh, that doesn't mean I want to work with them. I turn away clients, you know, actually at a uh, constantly because I don't, I want to I want to be happy when someone calls me. I don't want to go, oh, God, John Jones is calling me again because Apple stock went down today. Like, I don't want that phone call. Right. Um, but so we'll kind of see, is this something that we see going forward? Then we move to the next step. The next step is a, just a preliminary kind of data gathering. Uh, we'll build out like an asset map, throw everything on a piece of paper, take a look at it, and then kind of poke holes in, you know, where, where do we see opportunity? What do we not? And then after that, you know, I like, even if they're ready to come in, I like to say, you know what, take a couple of days and just think about it. I mean, this is a big decision. I believe it is. Um, take a couple of days, you know, I, and it, sometimes it's, if it's, if I don't see it's a good fit, I have no problem. You know, what I like to do is keep a nice, you know, network of other really good financial advisors that I can make referrals to. Um, so then, so the client is still being taken care of by somebody. Um, I'm really just looking at working with good people, business owners that want to, you know, trust the process, see a long-term view, good savers. Um, I don't 
typically take on clients that have unreasonable expectations. So in that first call, we really talk about expectations, clear and cut. And if they're expecting something that I can't provide, I have no problem telling that. I'm kind of look at it like a doctor. Um, you know, you go into your physician, you know, if you if your if your arm hurts, you know, can you fix your arm or not? Or should you really have that done by someone who specializes in that? And so if I, I don't want to because I don't want my clients to be too different from each other. Um, and so I don't won't take on a client if I don't think I can do a good job or if I can't do the best job for them. Wow, Kurt, this has been awesome. I mean, uh, great words, and uh, it's uh, been such a pleasure having you on. I know there's some folks out there that would like to be in touch after they've heard you speak about how you do what you do. So let's give them directions. Uh, get, how, how can folks get in touch if they'd like to have a conversation? Um, so, yeah, again, my my uh, website, ivoryhill.com, you can uh, go ahead and schedule that or you can by email. It's K-U-R-T at ivoryhill.com. You can send me an email. Um, the phone still works, too. So people are more than happy to pick up the phone and give me a call. I know that's kind of weird today. Every meeting I have, I have a <laughs> camera on, but it's okay to just pick up the phone and call, too. Yeah. In fact, that's how I operate the best. So, um, yeah, a lot of ways to reach out to me. Go to the website, see what we're about, um, and then you know, feel free to just you know bounce some things off me. I like being a, a sounding board for people because really, at the end of the day, what is this profession about? It's about helping people get to where they're going. So, um, no question is ever stupid. <laughs> yeah, that, that's great. And just and just to reiterate, folks, if you missed it earlier, Kurt uh, mentioned. It, Yes, he deals with clients in the Twin Cities area, but also all around the country. So you're not uh, confined by geography. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, pretty much work with, work with anything from your kind of solo entrepreneurs um, to retirees. You know, we do a great job in this business of telling people to save more money, but we do a terrible job of telling them actually how to distribute that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work with that as well as, you know, I got uh, entrepreneurs in uh, multiple different angles. Um, I, for, I mean, I got working with, you know, doctors, offices, um, that type of stuff, uh, attorneys. Um, I like, I, I am a fan of unsexy businesses. I got, you know, a client's kid who's, uh, you know, putting up Christmas lights and making $10,000 a week. And he's 20 years old, no college degree. I got uh, a client who's actually an Instagram model um, who is, you know, making, there's a, there, a, that's a new bit. One of my newer businesses that I can't believe how much money she's bringing in, you know, between a hundred and 200,000 a month. Wow. Um, that type of stuff. So um, I've seen a lot of stuff and I, what I, what I'm favorite is if I can get my clients to work together and too, if I can see synergies between their two businesses and help them, build and grow and kind of become blood brothers, you know, through that process. That's my favorite thing to do. That's awesome. Kurt Altricker folks. Uh, wow. What a, what a, a great time we've had. Uh, again, he's president of Ivory Hill. Kurt, this has been terrific again. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much, John. Hey folks, just a quick reminder. Minneapolis St. Paul business radio is present on all the major podcast apps. You can find us, um, uh, on any of them, we would love it. If you're not already subscribed to the show to do so subscribe and share the show. If you like the work we're doing here, we would love it. If you could, uh, let your friends, neighbors, uh, colleagues know it's not about me or business radio X. It's about our great guests like Kurt who do great work. And we want that work to be found celebrated. And for folks that might want to use their services to know about them. So if you could help, Our guest in that regard, we would appreciate it.
So for my guest, Kurt Altricker, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Radio. Thank you.